Today we're talking about courageous love, this love that is meaningful and deep and transformative. I would imagine that if anyone were to survey you, especially, say, is it important to love your neighbor? I think all of us would say, sure, of course. I would think even outside of this church, if you were to survey your neighbors, non-believing people, is it important for you to love your neighbor? They're like, sure, of course. But it's different when you say, now, how do you love your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? What does this deep abiding love look like? Then all of a sudden, this, this idea of loving coming down to actual actions and, and moving from the heart, I would say that's different for a lot of people. I would think that people within this body would appreciate that one of the earmarks, one of the foundational truths of love is that people recognize us because of the love that we have. But God said something even more, more diligent. He went on in John. John is known as a love chapter. It's known for, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But it's also known for a verse that says, I am giving you a new commandment that you love one another. In the same way that I have loved you, you also love one another. And in this, people will know that you are my disciple by your love. So this is an important element. It's easy to say love. It's easy to say that I love you. But it's not so easy sometimes when you're really asked to love, when it's love sometimes difficult. Even with our friends. I had a dear friend just three weeks ago call me up, hey, be praying for me if you would. My wife's going into emergency surgery. And with full, I meant it, hey, I love you. What can I do for you? And he right away said, well, would you mind coming over and having breakfast as I wait for the surgery? You would think, of course. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, now wait a minute. I have a whole list of things that I had planned to do today. And then this verse was, you know, I was reminded of Romans 12, and that's if you turn with me there. Romans 12 is where we're heading, Romans 12, 9. It said that love must be genuine without hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy, as you know, is, is a term for acting. You have these different faces that you can put on. So all of a sudden, my one face, which was a true face of, hey, I love you, what can I do for you? But then I had all these lists of things to do. So like either I really meant it, or do I want to get projects done? Well, of course I went and had breakfast with him. It was a no-brainer, and it was a wonderful time. It was encouraging to me. I believe it was encouraging to him. But I had to grapple with this whole idea of love. Now, when I am here standing before you, going to challenge you to love in a deeper, significant way, and yet I'm doing it without really credibility. I've not earned the credit from you to be able to do so. So when I was talking to Mike, I'm like, man, this is what's been on my heart. I feel like this is a message that God wants me to give. Are you okay with that? And he goes, Merlin, this sounds great. Let's do it. So even though this message might be challenging for us to have a deeper, more committed, courageous kind of a love, it's coming from God's word, but it's also a bit of a stamp of approval from Mike, from your pastor. He wants to love that way, and I believe that you 
want to love that way as well. So we are talking about a topic that is very familiar to you. It's familiar because love is one that has been shown throughout Scripture, not just in the Gospels, not just in the New Testament, not just in Ecclesiastes, but throughout Scripture we see this commandment to love and to love deeply and intelligently and, and to, be, to have love motivate us to do things that perhaps we would never do otherwise. So though it's something very familiar to us, it's also just as underdeveloped as anything else in our lives. I think each one of us can develop this heart of love more, this kind of love that, that reflects the very heart of God, that shows really the love of Jesus, because he, he did say, in the way that I have loved you, you also love one another. This is, a, this is a meaningful and impactful kind of love. I find it interesting that Jesus says, again, not quite in this scripture here, but in that John, says, a new command I give you. Well, what do you mean a new command? I would think if he was going to give a new command at that particular time in his life, he would say a new command, you've heard it, said to love God with all your heart. Now I'm saying, love me. Love me, because now I've given you the example of how to love. So love me as God's son. I've shown you how to do that. So here's a new command, love Jesus. That's not what he said, which I find very interesting. He goes, a new command I give to you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. Does that, are, are you struck by that as well? So he is making this firm admonition to love as he is loved, but to love your fellow man. This was a very costly love for Jesus. This was a love that was genuine to him, and it was, it was he, he couldn't help but love. But there's aspects of, loves that, of his love that may surprise us. And today we're going to go through that and see how that might surprise us. There's a difference between what we believe and how we function. Right? As I was just saying earlier, of course there's that mental ascent that we ought to be about love. But then when it starts to cost you something, you start to, let's, let's do some calculation now. How, how are we doing with this? But there is no greater love than for a man to lay down his life for a friend. This is the love that Jesus has shown. So then when a petty argument comes your way and there's a disagreement with someone, it's at that point you can say, now, either I choose to lay down my life or I choose to respond in anger or, hey, that's not fair. Or the new catchphrase now is, hey, I have my boundaries. You know, you can't step on my toes. I have my boundaries. Of course, there's a sense where you have to protect yourself. But I would think when Jesus is saying in this way, you're going to even lay down some of your boundaries allowing people to come in that might even offend you, to pray for those that actually even persecute you. So it's a way of, I'm going to remove my boundaries because of love. This is, this is a conviction for me of, do I have this conviction? It might be an understanding, but do I have this conviction that this may well cost me something? And yet this is a mark of a believer because it does cost us something, but the rewards are great. 
We want to love in this way. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 39 says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love was defined by Jesus, wasn't it? But there's times of people thinking, hey, that's not a very loving thing to say. Jesus was a good one of saying, your disbelief is not appropriate. This kind of pharisaical type of a religion is not my heart. What you're calling is good is abhorrent. And he was redefining what was good because they allowed themselves to see tradition or to see legalism or to see all of these acts that they were doing or the things that they weren't doing as good. He was calling them out and their disbelief, but also there were times where they were just plain wrong in the things that they said. And he, in his love, was going to correct them. Of course, he was hated for that. His extension of love of, I, I want you to see the very love and heart of God, was turned back to hatred toward him because he was touching on a very personal thing to them. Because he wanted to define the extent of love, the depth of love, the hope that love brings. And I know for each one of us, we have a certain amount of energy. We have a certain amount of energy to love. Everyone's been given this much energy, right? This is true in whatever, whatever state you're in. You just put this in a blanket statement. All of us have this much energy. So we try to stay in about this much energy. Does that make sense? Because if you're always at this much, there's stress and there's a feeling of, Okay, I'm overwhelmed. So you're put, whenever you're pushing that, that bubble of energy or that, that balloon of energy, you feel like, okay, this is, this is too much. So we like to stay in here. Jesus is saying, I want you to love in a very specific way that costs you. And you might always feel like you're in this part of pushing that, that energy bubble. But I love that what God calls us to do, he strengthens us to do as well. But also it means that we need to be strategic with our time, effort, and energy. I find myself often doing things that may not be as beneficial as what other things could be. So I have to evaluate how is my time being spent. I have to evaluate how, are, how am I doing. And I have a feeling you have to do the same. If Jesus has asked us to love in this way, then we need to reserve a certain level of energy to love in this way. Does that make sense? But yet it's strategic for us to do so. Because if we're completely, de- if we are depleted of energy, then it is impossible for us to love in this way. So then you've got to say, God, help me love in this way. Help me put aside the lesser things. Especially when love has been hijacked. And I'll tell you, the word love has been hijacked even in my own vernacular. I love to play tennis. And after a great tennis game, I'll say, man, I love it. This is great. Okay, is that really true? After I have a, you know, a nice steak or a burger, I'm like, oh, I love this. This is so good. Is that true? What about if I 
looked at my wife and said, boy, I love you. And yet, I don't want to serve her. Is that really true? And so for me, I am trying to be a little more careful with the word love. Because love comes with it with such a demand, with such, such depth to it. And I don't want to trivialize even the word of love. If this is the greatest command that he's given you, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love others as yourself, then I want to protect that word love. So now I'm trying to say, boy, I really have enjoyed this. This was, this was fun. This was energetic. Man, I really like to be, and you fill in the blanks, because I want to protect that word love a bit more. So when I say, hey, I really love you, I really appreciate you, there's, there's a reserve there, and there's a little back to that. We live in a society that not only has kind of hijacked love in general and trivialized it, we live in kind of a, a surface type of an environment. Yesteryear, when there wasn't so much money available, you would have a bike, and you would save, or you'd save for a bike, and you'd buy a bicycle, let's say. And then when a flat tire would happen, you would change the tire. If you had scratches on the bike, you would then sand the bike and repaint it. There would be every anticipation that you might have your kids enjoy the bike. But anymore, oh shoot, I bent a wheel, throw this bike away, I'm gonna, I wanted another bike anyway. Cars, we go through cars very quickly. Homes, unfortunately relationships. Oh, you said something that bothers me, so you're not gonna be my friend anymore, right? You've seen it, I've done it. There's that sense of, your relationship is not as important as what I like to think that it is. So we have this culture that we get rid of things more than staying with things. Does that make sense? And yet Jesus is saying, I want something far deeper than that. I want this to be the mark that is evident to the world. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. This real genuine conviction that we are his, we are loved by him, and we want to be this example of love to others. I, for one, need to grow in this. I need to determine what love looks like and what love doesn't look like. The clear conscience of people, of the writers of Scripture, was to write what was true and what was right. They were led by the Holy Spirit, absolutely. <coughs> absolutely. But they were also led by a conviction that what God is saying to them mattered. They wanted to make sure that they wrote this down right. And they were going to stand by what this said, regardless what came their way. There's times where you have this conviction and it changes the way that you respond. You have John the Baptist and Jesus, when he was talking about John the Baptist, he said, hey, those born among women, there's no greater man than John the Baptist. He loved John's conviction. Well, John ultimately was killed, how? He was beheaded because of Herodias. So here Herodias didn't like 
John saying, look, you married to, this, to the king. Hey, you married your brother's wife. And that's a sin. But Herodias and the king would keep having him back because John spoke with such conviction. He spoke of truth and hope and love and that the Messiah is here. Messiah is here. But yet he spoke this truth to the religious figure until finally this ate Herodias. Her, her anger was so driving her every decision that she said, my number one thing that I want out of life is to see John killed. John knew that. John had the opportunity to quit saying this, but he's determined that he's going to say the truth. Now, that truth was very courageous because he was saying what seemed like might be unloving. Hey, let the two love. Don't, these two are in love now. Let the past be past. And John was like, no. My leadership needs to come in line with God's word. I'm not going to have my leadership define what God's word is. What he is doing is wrong. Herodias, what you are doing is wrong. This is very loving. Though at first it may not seem like it is loving. And yet this defined really who John the Baptist was. Now it's easy to hold grudges. I'm not asking for a show of hands. Do you know what I mean? It's easy to hold a grudge. It's easy to hold grudge, and you begin to let grudges and bitterness begin to define your actions and how you feel. And yet, we've been asked not to let any seed of bitterness in our heart to rule our heart. Instead, we have been asked to have love rule our heart, to act upon not the offenses from people, but the opportunity to show God's grace and love and compassion to a very hurting and hurtful world. And there's times it's going to come at a cost. Recently, the Equality Act was passed by the House, and I thought, this is ridiculous. So, of course, I emailed Cantwell and Murray, and I said, I just want to let you know this, this is not good. I want to defend women's rights. You pass this bill... And you are taking scholarships from young women right out from underneath them. Furthermore, women have been abused so many times. I want them to feel safe in their own locker room, in their own shower in a public place. I don't want biological men inside of that shower in the stall next to them. So please protect women's rights. Please protect scholarships. Please protect God's version as a man of faith as well, that there's benefits to a man and benefits of a woman. Now, I knew that they would say that's nonsense, and sure enough, they did. We're proud to be co-sponsors of this bill. So I said, perhaps you didn't hear me. Your constituent is pleading with you not to move forward with this because I wanted to be a defender of women. Of course... That's not the way it is. But there's times that we need to engage government and say this is wrong. There's times that we go against the flow of what they're calling right because we know what is right. We know what is true. And that's difficult. And that's where we come to Romans 12, 
verse 9, when it first says very clearly then, I don't want love to have hypocrisy. Or it says genuine. Again, don't, don't have hypocrisy. And then it says, um, okay, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So hating what is evil is a difficult thing. We see evil around us, and yet sometimes, hey, this is the culture we live in. There are times where we want to be able to say, we hate evil and we will not allow evil to take place. Not on my watch. I'm going to be actively part of the solution to keep purity there. That does not become popular for some. When you are hating what is evil. Now, some people say, well, hey, hate is not a Christian value. Really? Really? So you're not going to abhor when you see someone being raped in front of you? That is evil. So I then am constrained to jump in and do something about that. If I see someone else's rights being oppressed, if I see a particular ethnic group or whatever that might be, race, let's whatever, and I'm not going to do something about it, there's something wrong with me. So there is a hate toward things that are wrong, things that are unlovely, things that are, are hurtful to communities. If you start saying, hearing someone continually lie about someone else, that should move us to like, that is wrong. I hate that kind of language. That's not true. We, at times, as believers, get confused of what we're hating. I remember even approaching a guy that was saying, God hates gays. And he's screaming this on the street corner. I'm like, what are you doing? That's not even true. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's God's will that none should perish, but all have everlasting life. Do you agree? There's a time where we've got to say that hatred is misplaced. It's anything that tears away from this relationship with God and God's goodness and God's plan for our lives. That's what God hates. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was, I want to restore that. We all like it when we see our parents or our kids or our friends look across the room and smile. We love that feel, right? Look over here and you love this smile. You love this feeling of connectivity and, hey, this is a good thing. I so appreciate you. God wishes that all are blessed, that we see his light in this way, that we see this light in a loving and compassionate way. But God hates evil. So there's times where he glares across and goes, that's sin that's not going to be tolerated because that sin separates this love that I have for you. And he hates evil. He can't even be around evil. Now he's around evil, but that means he's not going to put his blessing upon evil. And there's times where we as believers say, we're not going to put our blessing on evil. Simultaneous with us loving, with our, us being of a demeanor of love, we're also going to say, but it's uncaring to say that this is true. We abhor evil and we're not going to put our stamp of approval on it. But we have to do it both. We have to say the truth in love. We have to be careful with the way that we speak when we know that that's true. 
Then it goes on to say, hold fast to what is good. When other people begin to define what good is, then we begin to hold on to that. We have to be so clear to see, see a scripture and say, this scripture doesn't make sense to me. What can I do to get to the bottom of what is the heartbeat of God here? What is it that scripture is telling me to do? And I'm going to hold fast to that and let the world say what's wrong is right and what is right is wrong so that if a believer begins to say what is right, that's considered hate speech. We want to make sure we're clear on, hey, this is the most loving thing that I can do. I can't help but be right. I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to what is right. But at the same time, we love sometimes, or we say we hate the wrong things. It's interesting to me where it says, love one another with brotherly affection. It's easy to say that, but then what about the woman that is brought in front of Jesus and was caught in adultery? So here they are angry saying, look at this woman. What does the law say that you need to do with her? Jesus loves the sinner and yet abhors the sin. So here he has a choice of, do I glare at this woman because of the sin or do I smile at this woman offering this ability to love in a way that she's not been loved in a long time. And so he went on to say, hey, you, you that want to cast that stone, you without sin cast the first stone. And then from the oldest to the youngest, they walked away. But it's interesting, it says they. So Jesus was here teaching apostles, teaching disciples, open in the courtyard of the temple. These people brought this woman in, and then they all left. So here Jesus is left with a lot of people that just left him. They had a heart of hate toward this woman that he wanted to extend brotherly affection to. Outdo one another in showing honor. Come on, you got to love that. I want to love more deeply, more sincerely, more effectively today than I did yesterday. I love Emerson Egrich where um, uh, he is a, a, a Christian speaker, pastor for many years. And uh, there's a crazy cycle that goes on in marriage, and it says, without respect, men respond without love. Without love, women respond without respect. And you get into this crazy cycle that goes on. And in one of his conferences, he said, now... There are times where people, you can see both views. There's two sides to every story. And so with both views, they said, well, the question was posed by him, then who apologizes first? And he said, the more mature one will apologize first. I found that interesting. There's times where I need to be mature enough to say, let's, let's own up with my own faults, with the things that I have done wrong. Let's look at my side of the street and apologize for that. Hey, I could have responded better. I could have responded with more love and more dignity, more respect. That's a mature kind of love. When we're really saying, I want to outdo one another in showing honor. You have a good point there. Lisa, my wife, you have a really good point there. I didn't behave in a manner that honored you, and I'm sorry about that. 
Yeah, but. Yeah, but this. Yeah, but that. Yeah, but is not a good friend. <laughs> Just not a good friend. There's always reasons not to do something that is right. But here it says, outdo one another in showing honor. I love that. So we look at how is this love exercise. I'd like to read through some of this. It says, let love, this is 12, 9 through 18. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. 12.18 If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Isn't that something? To the best of your ability, live peaceably. Are you a little bit like me in this? Now, wait a minute. I've apologized twice and you've not responded to it. So I have a right to be upset. Are you like me? Is that really the best you've got? That's the best you've got? You apologize twice? Wow, to me, I'm like, I think, I, I think I'm more mature than that. I think to the best of my ability, there's, there's more than apologizing twice. I think there's something deeper in us that God wants to stir in us to live in a way that might really cost us something. To swallow one's pride and to say, I want to live right before God and I want to live right before man. But Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive this bozo that keeps doing these wrongs? I say 70 times 7. The full amount, as much as God allows you to. Now, there's consequences to sin, absolutely. Forgiveness from the heart does not mean that there is not consequences of sin. And that's where it's the other side of it. Hey, a big smile like this is loving, right? A big embrace, hey, so good to see you today. That's loving. Hey, I brought you these flowers today. That's loving. But so is, what's up with that? doesn't feel loving, but isn't that loving? Why would you just steal that? Put that back. That's not yours. This I is loving as well because you abhor sin. That's a practice of love. Telling a government official, like, what's that all about? That's not cool. That's not right. But when we do it out of anger or hostility or bitterness, we've got a problem. But we want to be able to be in this place of, of this, this tension of holding what is, seems loving and happy and upright this way to anger for God's word being disregarded. 
and for love being compromised. We want to say the truth in a very loving way, but we hold this tension of what does that look like. We want to hate what is evil and we want to love what is good. We want to move forward in these, in this kind of a thing. Another example of hating incorrectly. There was a race of people called the Samaritans. They were basically assimilated in. So they were Jewish people assimilated into a Samaritan culture or Roman culture. Oftentimes when a uh, uh, war would take place, particular area would be taken over and then they would take portions of that area out you know Assyrians and just this has happened throughout scripture you take a portion of that populace out and move them to another area and then into a Roman or Assyrian area whatever that might be so that those Jewish people would start to live more like the conquering group does that make sense well Samaritans were part of that And so these real Jews that were undefiled hated Samaritans because of their, you know, hey, let's just serve God here. This is, why not serve right here instead of the prescribed way of serving God. So when the apostles were walking through with Jesus, spending time with him, seeing these miracles happening, they went into town and they come back and they see Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman. Now, A, talking with Samaritan, that just wasn't what a good Jew would do. But B, talking to a woman wasn't something that was done. So here you see Jesus engaging with a Samaritan woman, saying, give me something to drink. What was at hand right there? Give me something to drink. And so then that's what took place is she goes, but you don't have anything to draw water from. Actually, he said, if you would ask, I would give you waters of everlasting life, eternal living life, living water. Well, I want that water. So here he was engaged with this woman and said, hey, go tell your husband, knowing full well that there was more of the story. So this Samaritan woman said, I have no husband. Hey, you spoke correctly. You've had multiple marriages, and the man you're with now isn't your husband. Do you think that would be comfortable for you to say? Hey, you're right in saying this. You've had multiple failed marriages, and you're having an affair right now. That's not easy for us to say, but the way that Jesus said it was trying to get to the core of who this woman was. So she went back into Samaria, Samaria, and you know who she told? Does it say, did it say she went and told everyone? No, it said she went back and told the men. She was more comfortable with the men than the women. The women shunned her. The women kept her at bay. So she would find solace in the company of men. So here is Jesus saying, I'm the one you've been waiting for. But that's convicting to me because it's easy to shun someone because I disagree with them. A little bit harder to connect with them and and turn their life story into the eternal story. And yet that's the loving heart of Jesus Christ. Hold fast to what is good. I love that part. 
but it's hard to know what is good. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 said, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's interesting that the light of the gospel is there, but yet the world really tweaks what love looks like. And it hijacks many really good things. It is one thing to say, black lives matter. And I believe black lives matter. But the black lives movement is horrific. If you visited their website and you see the tenets of what they believe, it's very little about black lives mattering. It's about the homosexual agenda. That's primarily... But they're putting their queer, uh, transgender, on and on. That's their main focus. But they've hijacked something that's near and dear to us. So we need to be careful of what we are saying is good and what we are saying is wrong. So the Black Lives Matter is a movement led by a group that really, they're, they're saying, let's, let's look at the gay and lesbian rights more important than anything else. Now, I want to be clear. We want to be sensitive and sympathetic to those that are struggling with strong emotions. We don't want to discount that. We want to be loving to them. We want to care for them. We want to be engaged with them. Never should we be in a street corner saying that God hates them. Jesus could not have shown a clear example in this case of how he came to seek and to save the lost. His heart is is trying to find ways to connect, not ways to condemn. For the Son of Man came not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So then we, as believers, have been given the responsibility to connect with our communities, to find a way to connect with them in such a way that is loving God and loving others. Staying true to our convictions without ever being to this tone of condemnation. We want to stay true to what is right. Look at verse 11. Can we go back just a little bit? Verse 11, where it says, Do not be slothful in zeal. There it is. Uh, But be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. This is interesting when we look at um, slothful in zeal. You know, this, this dilatory kind of an attitude of, well, I'm going to be slow in jumping in to do the things that I've been asked to do. We, we don't want to be slothful. We want to be engaged in God's word. We want to be a part of what God is doing. We want to be a part of Calvary Chapel Wallingford. We want to be a, chart, a part of uh, this community, of Ballard, of uh, Finney Ridge. We want to be a part of what's going on here. We want to make sure that we are being very careful of being fervent in the Spirit. We are we're asking God to use us. We're asking God to fill us. We're asking Him to show us whatever impure way might be about us. If there's anything in my heart that is wrong, then show me. Because I want to deal with my inward pieces so that outward I'm actually saying it from a heart of truth and great conviction of the love that God has. Be fervent and serve the Lord. Now serve the Lord. This is interesting because when Jesus was on the cross and he loved his mom. 
we love our moms. And he looked at, said, hey, mom, mom, this is your son. Son, this is your mom. Take care of them. And it says that his mom went and lived with John afterwards. So there's a time where we're going to say, we're going to serve the Lord in that same sense of we want to care for those that God has entrusted us to care for. So in John's case, he was going to serve Jesus' mother as if he was serving Jesus. There's times that we have an opportunity to really serve and care for one another in in such a profound way. Rejoice in hope, verse 12. This is interesting because you say, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Do you remember Jonah? Jonah was instructed to go to Nineveh. God loved the Ninevites. Jonah didn't. None of Jonah's friends loved the Ninevites. None of Jonah's neighbors loved the Ninevites. He believed that even Ninevites didn't love the Ninevites. And so he goes, there is no way I'm going to Nineveh to preach the good news. No way. And God in his faithfulness said, yeah, actually there's a way. And when Jesus forgave them, he's like, oh, I knew you would do this, Jesus. I knew you would love on this culture that I so hate. They hate you. But Jesus wanted to show Jonah, I want you to have hope in what I can do. Let me show you how I can change the society right in front of you. So it's interesting. Rejoice in hope. Because God, there is hope for those people that seem to be hopeless. Those people that have heard the good news over and over and over again and have rejected it. And continue even in, in tribulation. Yes, there's going to be times where we're going to find tribulation by standing up what is right, for saying what is true, for believing that God's word is true and people need to align to God's word. Yes, there's going to be tribulation, but that's hope. I think Jonah showed us hope. I think we need to stand in hope. Contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. Diaconin, the, the role of deacons and deaconesses, this is a critical part of love. There's times where you're going to be asked, hey, at 1.30, let's go over. Now, I'm not, not twisting your arm. You're like, man, I have no choice now. I have to go. But as I said earlier, there are times where we are met with difficult decisions of, do I really believe that I'm going to look after the needs of others or do I have a whole list of things that I need to get done? That's convicting to me. And I'm hoping that you'll share that conviction. There's times that we will lay down our lives because we want to help other people, the needs of the saints. We want to show them this level of, you matter to me, because that shows the heart of God, doesn't it? You matter to me. I want to be here for you. Bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. That, again, is difficult for me because I feel like I'm somewhat quick-witted. And just like that, I can jump in and do something. This is going to gross you out a little bit. Mike and I went over to someone's house and we had chairs stored in their backyard. We had them all wrapped with plastic. We had it buttoned up tight. Well, then finally came to a place where we needed those chairs. We go in there, we pull it off, and that's right, rats jumped out. Well, 
So we're kind of unnerved, and Mike is there next to me, and I picked up a stick because I'm like, okay, how many of these little critters are there? And then they start jumping out, and Mike says, kill it! And just like that, boom, I was just, I killed one. <laughs> and he's going, wow, that was fast. And I goes, he turned left, and he should have turned right. <laughs> it was just, just like that. I mean, it was just like a gun went off. It was like, boom, yes, I'll do it. Sometimes I do that just in life where there's, there's this quick explosion of energy, sometimes to the right thing, sometimes to the wrong thing. There are some times that I do things that are wrong, that I am quick to curse someone just because in my mind, I'm like, this doesn't feel right. But rejoice with those who rejoice and, uh, rejoice and weep with those who weep. Do you rejoice when you see success in someone else's life? When you see that they're doing it right? when someone else gets the promotion. There's times where, where it's like, now why is it, Lord, I've been so faithful over all these years. Why is it that this, that this sub, sub-intelligent mind is getting the position that I should have? Difficult. But yet, there we are. And then we go on and we see, uh, uh, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Mike is a gifted worship leader. No one will deny that. And it's not just because of his piano playing or his vocals. It's because from the, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You, you know that of him. He has proven that over and over and over again. Once in a while, it makes me kind of excited when I hear him hit a bad note. It doesn't happen very often. But I, oh. Wait a minute, he just hit a bad note. Because it hardly ever happens. But we hear a bad note when we're out of harmony with one another. It's a bad note. It's not right. It's not, it's not what we're looking for. It's a distraction. And when we live in a life that is disharmonious with other people, it's a bad note. It's a distraction. And we don't want to be there. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then lastly, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. I want to say again that a new commandment that God has given us, that you love one another. In the same way that I have loved you, you also love each other. God, right now we come before you with that heart, that heart of knowing that we can love more courageously, more deeply, more impactfully, I would ask that we would understand really this, this cause of love, how to do it. God, strengthen us in this day so that we love to reflect your heart in a way that honors you and honors your word. Amen.